Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 178 overall and session number 54 of the Council of Elrond, which is starting, I don't know, every week it's starting to feel like a more and more disproportional percentage of the entire number of sessions, I have to admit. Not that it's a an unexpectedly large number of sessions in itself, but uh, anyway, it just kind of brings more and more painfully to my attention how absolutely inexcusably fast we went at the very beginning of this discussion. Uh, but anyway, um, all right, uh, I, I, let's, we're, I'm ready to jump back into the text tonight. Tonight, I wanted, I'm looking forward to discussing the reasoning. Last time, we were spending a good deal of time looking at uh, specifically the issue, like the assertion that Elrond makes about the Valar and what their perspective may or may not be. Uh, and that I found a very useful discussion, and I'm really glad for that. And we're coming up on another thing that I'm going to need that I'm going to need help with. If it seems like I'm needing a lot of help lately, uh, it, there's a reason for that. This section that we are in right now, like these paragraphs in the midst of which we are, are some of the ones that I have um, always kind of struggled with a little bit. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing uh, and looking through uh, looking through their reasoning there. Um, but um, okay. So, but quick, first, I have an announcement, uh, and it's a really fun announcement. Uh, I mean, not that all of my announcements aren't fun, because uh, I don't doubt that they are. Um, but this involves a special opportunity with capital letters. Uh, so uh, what this announcement is, it's about our Signum Path program. Now, just a quick reminder for those of you who don't remember about that. Signum Path uh, is one of our newest programs at Signum. It's a professional development program designed to teach communication skills, people skills, the kind of soft skills that really help you kind of get ahead in whatever industry you work in, whatever kind of career you have. Uh, skills which a lot of people uh, we know really need help with. Um, so we have had an anonymous donation made uh, uh, to Signum uh, by someone who really would like to help folks be able to take PATH courses. So um, uh, she has made a donation uh, w which is funding six free PATH courses for folks who would be interested in that. So here's how this is going to work. If you are interested perhaps, in taking a free PATH course. In particular, we wanted to uh, start people off on one of our two kind of uh, like our original uh, uh, sort of PATH badges. That is our oral communications badge and our written communications badge. So we want to do, uh, for this coming month, for the month of April, we want to give away seats for either our uh, nuts and bolts writing course or our powerful presentations writing course. So those are two of our two really good starting places uh, for people who would like to work on the written communications and on their oral presentation uh, of things. So uh, we're going to give away uh, seats in either one of those two in April. So if you are able to do that, and if you are interested in this, here's all you have to do. Send an email to path at signumu.org. So just send an email to path at signumu.org. And at the end of the week, so like, uh, well, what I call Sunday night, what most of you would call 
early morning on Monday. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll do uh, we'll do a random selection and pick uh, randomly six of the people who have emailed us between now and then. This enables folks who are not here live to be able to kind of get in on this possibility too. Uh, so as I said, I've got six seats. So send an email to path at signumu.org. Let us know that you are interested in this and uh, uh, let us know which of the two courses, powerful presentations or nuts and bolts, our, our, our writing nuts and bolts course, uh, which of those two you would be most interested in taking and uh we will we will do the i'll roll the dice and we'll let you know um so anyway that is um that is what's gonna that's what that, that's my announcement for this week uh, so many thanks to uh the generous uh donor generous in more than one sense generous you know to signum of course and making the donation in the first place but also very thoughtful uh towards others um knowing you know this uh, uh this donor has heard me talk about uh, you know some of the things that our current path students have been telling us about uh our current and and, and very recent path students have been telling us about the ways that they've been benefited by this program so you know, she really just wanted to make this available for more people. So uh, many thanks there. Um, all right. So path at org if you would like to be in on that drawing. So uh, that is the announcement here for this evening. Now, um, let's um, let us head back into the text here. So I was mostly done, I think, with this slide. Uh, but I, I've kind of kept it up because I was not 100% sure. <laughs> um, in the sea, it would be safe. As I recall, we didn't finish um, considering the business about casting it in the deeps and making the lies of Saruman come true. Um, I have a, I have a, a vague, um, I have a vague memory of leaving something wasn't was there a question i left i left us with last time i'm completely blanking about the end of the last session um but um because i remember saying that glorfindel's assertion uh that um often lies truth is hidden that saruman's very the very nature of saruman's deception um you know, makes it possible that that's actually a good idea um, was something that I found actually kind of, uh, kind of compelling. In fact, um, yeah. Um, so I remember some of you were asking about would uh, we didn't. Now we did talk about the question of would any of the Valar be corrupted by it. I wasn't worried about Olmo, um, though I do think that um, Ase could be a danger to himself and others if the Ring of Power came near him. Uh, I'm not sure of the relative power of uh, Sauron and Ase uh, at this point, um, but uh, uh, but that's got to be... Um, okay, Ase, yeah, Aslan's Compass. I've been wondering for three weeks about Ase and the Ring. Yeah, it wouldn't be Ase's first transgression. It would not, uh, certainly. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, Trifle, I agree. He's a danger to himself and others without the ring. Well, I mean, you know, once, right? I mean, anybody, can, I, I mean, everyone has had some kind of wild transgression in one's younger days, hasn't one? Um, so, you know, Ase, um, he's, uh, he's learned his lesson. But it's interesting, actually, just a little footnote on Ase there. Um, 
the idea, the way in which Ase is attached to violence, but I mean, Tolkis is attached to violence, but it's different, right? There's a different relationship between violence and Ase of wildness, of chaos, right? Of like a delight in like destruction itself uh, that Ase seems to have uh, is a really interesting kind of um, uh, kind of tang, right? In the, the whole nature of Ase's character and unusual uh, in uh, unusual in the Valar, or at least unusual, um, uh, unusual in the, um, Valar as they were later composed. That element in the Valar originally in the Book of Lost Tales was much more pronounced. Um, uh, what were their names? Maase and what was the dude? Makor? Makar. Yeah, there we go. Makar and Miase. Yeah, exactly. Makar and Miase uh, were the two Valar who in the Book of Lost Tales were um, pretty sketchy. Like, they were all about, like, violence and death in the arena and uh, uh, chaos. They were, they, were, they were mixing it up. Um, uh, so he ditched them uh, in, I think, his first major revision. Uh, they, they dropped out. Uh, fairly early on, but but that that there was an element of that that the you know because I mean, it's it's a thing, right? I mean it's it's a it's a it's it's an element of the world, uh, you know this uh, de, you know a kind of mercilessness and delight in slaughter and uh, uh, des, you know de, uh, you know enjoying chaos and you know it's it's um it's a thing. Um, and uh, anyway, so Ase is the only one in whom that kind of like element of, of wildness and chaos, real wildness, not just kind of, you know, rugged and untamed, you know, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but real delight in just like destruction of stuff really lives. Um, and... Um, yeah, and, and Tessie, you're absolutely right that there's no real reason to think the Meyer would all be good. There are so many of them. People have different opinions and personalities. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Tony, I agree. Uh, uh, Makar and Mayase are um, the uh, essentially occupying the position of a war god, um, which we do see in many pantheons, um, and which we don't really have uh, in the, I mean, like, the closest we get to like a god of war in the later pantheon um, is uh, um, is uh, what's his face Aonwe. I was about to call him Fionwe, which was his original name. Um, Aonwe, uh, the uh, the guy who used to be the son of Manwe. Um, uh, he's the closest in some ways, I think, that we as far as like like a martial military one, um, and uh, Tolkis. Fourth Dauntless absolutely is kind of like war god-ish, but he's a very sort of peculiar flavor uh, of a god of war. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, okay, let's see. Hang on a second. 
Fortalis, I almost missed your pr provocative idea here. Um, I'm going to propose a provocative idea. I think Yvonne, as she's opposed to the depredations of those who go on two legs, might not be entirely safe from temptation. Well, Fortalis, you're certainly right. Um, when we were talking with the Valar about um, are, there, um, are, are they susceptible? You know, are they susceptible? Uh, you know, for Thoughtless, going back to the Tom Bombadil discussion, right? Does Yovana have what Tom Bombadil has? The kind of, like, perfect contentment that leaves him no desire to be filled? No, nothing upon which the temptation of the ring can, can fasten? Um, no, I don't think she has that. I don't think she has that at all. I, you know, we do get the sense, as you point out, that Yavanna is not discontent, but um, she grieves. She's troubled, right? She's troubled. She uh, does not... I would think at the very least, Yavanna experiences fairly strongly the temptation to disapprove, resist the like direction in which history is moving. Um, if you see what I mean by that, like it's uh, that we can see that we can feel that pretty, pretty strongly, I think, in the Avaule and Yavanna chapter, um, her anxiety about her creatures, right, about, you know, her own children, um, the plants and the animals and what's going to happen to them when the children of uh, Iluvatar arise. And of course, things are going to get worse and worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I agree. I think that that's um, um that that's that's interesting. I, I mean, I think that that's I think that that's true. But see, again, I, I'm not worried about any of the primary Valar. Just I just don't think the ring is going to offer them that much. I really don't. Um, the ring we know can, in some sense, it, we're told that it gives people power according to their stature, right? But I don't think that's true. Uh, I mean, there's a law of the, you know, conservation of, of power here, right? Um, it cannot give Valar power according to their stature. I just don't think it's got that to give. I, I, I think that it's, that is, uh, that is beyond it, uh, I really think. Um, right, Arna says the ring doesn't have to be able to deliver on its promises, though. <sighs> Right. Well, I mean, so it could, you know, deceive her. Uh, sure. But again, I I just I cannot imagine that the Ring of Power would not just look quite different from the perspective of the Valar. You know, I, I just I really I really don't. Um, uh, I really don't. Um, and yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, Turambar says, I would argue that Yovana could just wipe Middle-earth from all the children without the ring. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Um, I think that she does experience that temptation. But yeah, again, I don't think there is going to be any sense in which any of the Valar would see or find the ring and say, now the power is suddenly in my grasp. I could do this now, this thing that I've always wanted to do but and resisted the desire to do, but now, you know, the ability is in my grasp. Like, no way, man. Like, that's just not... It's not like that. Um, uh, yes, exactly. As Trifle says, it's not that the Valor are like Bombadil and wanting nothing. It's just that if they wanted to do something like that, they can already do it and aren't. Yes, that's 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 more or less exactly what I'm trying to get to, I think, there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, exactly. But, um, <sighs> okay. Well, no, see, Mad Violinist, I, I disagree with the premise. Uh, Mad Violinist says, To say that the ring is not of sufficient power would put Sauron below Feanor as a craftsman. Is that a position I want to take? Uh, well, I'll say two things to that, Chris. One, yes. Actually, yes, I would take that. Do I think that Feanor, at the height of his powers, in Valinor, in the time of the trees, was... Uh, like the, the production of the Silmarils was a greater and more wondrous work of craft than Sauron's corrupt creation of the One Ring way down the road after he was already well advanced down the nihilistic road that are, had already claimed his master. Yeah, totally. I'm fine saying that, actually. I think that the making of the One Ring is itself a sufficiently corrupt project. Um, that I think he's already well into the, you know, like many trumpets blaring on one note school of, uh, of, 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 of song at that point. Um, uh, so do I think that again, if I, and I'm doing this by metaphor now, right. Um, do I think that the, the figurative song of Feanor, uh, in the making of the Silmarils was a greater and more wondrous song than the the loud blaring on one single note. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely would say that. We feel comfortable saying that. But the second thing, Chris, Rea, that I would say is um, that the two things are not, there's no need to parallel the two. To say, to say that uh, uh, the ring of power isn't going to add anything or isn't going to add a temptation uh, to the Valar is not to, 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 it has nothing to do with their comparative, uh, you know, skill Exactly. Um, the Silmarils weren't adding power to the Valar either. You know, it's not, that wasn't the point of them. Um, they're a totally different thing. As we, you know, we've talked about, there are ways in which you can, uh, there are ways in which you can compare the, uh, you know, you can parallel the ring and the Silmarils. And that is a very suggestive parallel in a lot of ways. But I, off, I also find it, in the end, a fairly clumsy parallel because the two things are just not very similar. Um, the, the, the ring has a purpose. It's got a job. Uh, it was designed to perform a function. The Silmarils are not designed to perform a function. And everything that happens with them, you know, oaths and desire and temptation and stuff it, I have always said I believe tells you more about you know if you end up doing horrible things to get a Silmaril that tells us more about you than it tells us about the Silmaril whereas if you end up doing horrible things to get the ring it does also it says something about you but it also says something about the ring um, anyway okay okay but I've been over that a little bit I uh, yeah, Tormarthen says the function of a Silmaril is to sit there and glow happily. Right, exactly. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Like, that's that's like the, you know, that's the motto of the Silmarils. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, okay. I'll say. So I'm, I have this impulse. Um, 
And Flamifer, yes, I agree. Flamifer says Sauron screwed up his ring project. Uh, the seven did not work like he wanted, and the three eluded him. Yeah, yeah. No, again, I, I, that's one of the things that I would point to as well, Flamifer, to say when I was in my first point, saying that like Sauron's craftsmanship of the ring is is clearly, flaw- it's in one sense his great work, right? But it's only his great work in the sense that he invested very expensive raw materials in it. Right. It is not his greatest work in the same sense, I think, that Feanor's work was his greatest work. Um, uh, Feanor. uh, um, And when Feanor talks about his own heart being tied up and that he would be slain if they were uh, correct, I, I don't believe him. I've never believed him. I think he's a drama king at that point. Um, and he's just a whiner then. But nevertheless, <laughs> there was another comment. It got washed upstream or downstream, I guess. Uh, Turinbar, it was something you said. Hang on, I'm almost there. Almost there. Um, okay, there it is. That's it. Turinbar, the comment of yours that I was kind of clinging to, gosh, that was further ago than I thought, um, uh, to get us back on the Ase train, which is where I wanted to go as I am slowly backtracking back towards Corfindel's paragraph. Um, you had asked, Turinbar, is there any desire for power in Ase? Like, yeah, he's wild, yeah, he's unpredictable, but is there any desire for power in him? His desire seems to be to uh, uh, to, to to be free, to uh, uh not to, um, yeah, he's restrained by no one but himself, uh, though at the bidding of others. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I agree. I agree. I don't think that he's, um, uh, I don't think that, um, <laughs> Dazak, welcome, by the way, Dazak. Uh, and I, we added two new people here, right? Dazak the Backwards Dwarf and uh, and uh, uh, Eruahil. Yeah, uh, welcome to both of you. Um, anyway, uh, Dazak said, Don't hate me because I'm beautiful should be the title uh, of my next book, Exploring the Silmarillion. It's, it, it's kind of a catchy book title. I, I kind of like it. Um, yeah, yeah. But... Um, so, Green Great Dragon, you're right. Melkor did offer him all the realm of Olmo. Um, so, uh, that's um, uh, that angle would suggest that he desired power. But I, but again, I wonder. You know, I wonder if it's was it dominion that he sought, like to rule the, or was it freedom? Uh, was it a freedom from restraint? That's always the impression I've gotten. Now, that's there's very little behind that. I mean, all we're told is that he was offered the realm of uh, of Olmo, the whole realm of Olmo, uh, you know, that Melkor uh, gave him. So, you know, we have no further information about that. But what always seemed to me to fit best uh, Ase, as he was described, um, was the fact that he... Uh, was, again, that idea of, like, you know... As of now, you're still kind of you, you, you got to play by the rules, right? You know, somebody else is 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 dictating the rules. Uh, don't you want to be free? You know, don't you want to uh, be able to do everything uh, you know that you want? Um, and uh, you know, d- don't you want to be the uh, um, uh, the 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 you know the boss? And Gilgaleta, you're right that just because he was offered it doesn't mean it was desired, right? Well, no. I mean, the offer was 
at least briefly taken, right? Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it does. There, there is an element to there. Fort Thoughtless, I agree. Uh, Fort Thoughtless is, of course, remembering ahead to Sam's ring temptation. You know, of the garden swollen to a realm um, is Ase's temptation uh, by Melkor. A little bit like that. Uh, yeah, uh, in some ways, in some ways, uh, a little bit like that. At least potentially, I guess, like that. Um, so, would throwing the ring into the sea? potentially have created problems. I mean, it's interesting because I, there's no glimpse in the text. Like nobody's response to this has anything to do with like, you know, consider the Maya of the sea. And if not them, consider the fishes, right? Like, you know, basically there's no idea about corrupting the ocean or anything or anybody, uh, who lives therein. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, no, I don't exactly know, Tessa, what a fish would do with a ring exactly, but um, um, Nathan wonders if you need to be incarnate to use the ring. Uh, well, Sauron used it back when he was still fluid, right? I mean, like when he could, you know, in, you know, incarnate at will, not incarnate, when he could you know, manifest any physical form he wanted at will. He lost that power right at the fall of Numenor. Um, but, um, but back then he was able to, so presume in, a, in other words, at the time when he made the ring uh, and originally used the ring, he was still in the like kind of default Maiar situation. Right. So presumably any, Ma- any other Maiar would be in the same, uh, the same situation. Um, Brandon is is concerned that that kind of sounds like how you get a Cthulhu, uh, possibly, possibly. Uh, yeah, there are certainly some areas in the sea uh, where presumably you would not want uh, to throw the ring. You'd want to be very careful about that. Um, I just read the Call of Cthulhu for the first time recently, actually. Um, but um, yeah, Fort Dauntless is uh, speculating that perhaps that's where Moby Dick came from, right? Uh, possibly, except. I, you know, I think uh, Moby Dick is clearly an agent of divine justice and judgment. So uh, I, I think I think uh, I think he works for the good guys. Um, I've always thought of Moby Dick as more like Thorondor, uh, but that's uh, perhaps a personal crossover of my own. <laughs> but um, uh, but anyway, anyway, um, so didn't we see a fish take the ring in a draft? Ah, blanking JJ. I don't remember an actual fish story. Um, but, um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never, um, I don't remember JJ. I mean, there was like the connection with the fish was the great fish, of course, that takes Daigle's line and drags him in. Um, but I don't. Maybe. Yeah. I'm completely blanking on it. I'm completely blanking on it. See, this is like. Um, many times in my 
life and later career, people have marveled and said, how is it that you just like, ha- it's like you have the whole, you know, Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion in your head all the time. My secret is that I'm almost always reading it. Uh, it's because I read and reread the texts at least once a year. Um, because if I don't, I'll forget them. Uh, and and they go. And it's now been like a couple years, JJ, since I read uh, uh, The Return of the Shadow. And now I'm like, uh, I don't remember. Is that what happened? I'm losing it. I'm losing it. I got to reread it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> Moby Dick is a whale, Mayaris. I like that suggestion, Kurtzimus. Um, okay, well, we will get in a moment to Gandalf's response. Remember, Gorfindel's argument is only what he ends with here. In the sea, it would be safe, right? We can be sure if it's in the sea that uh, Sauron is not going to get it again, right? Um, so if our goal, and, and again, you know, my subtitle for this slide has been sensible suggestions, right? Gorfindel is full of sensible suggestions and very reasonable analysis, right? Only two things remain for us to attempt to send it over the sea or to destroy it. Um, And as we've said, it seems to be that what he really means, send it over the sea is a specific example. The two categories that he's putting forward are find a way to keep it away from Sauron permanently, ensure that he never gets it back or destroy it. Those seem to be the two different categories of things that he's exploring, right? Option A for keep it away from Sauron forever is to send it over the sea. You know, if, it, if it's in Valinor, if they lock it in a vault in Valinor, right? Have Mandos lock it away. Uh, you know, I'm, does Mandos have safe deposit boxes? He probably does, right? Uh, for, you know, select customers. So you put the Ring of Power in a, a very safe deposit box, Um in Mandos, and then you can be sure that Sauron is never going to see that thing again, right? Um, And if you throw it into the ocean, right, and sink it down to the bottom of the ocean, where, like, he's never going to get it again, right? Then, okay, right? Yeah, Fort Thoughtless says, I wonder what would have happened if it were cast beyond the gates of night. A really good question. A really good question. Yes. Now, Amethorn, we talked about that, right? Of course, Sauron is still a troublesome force, even without his ring. Um, And the argument that I was making before is that based on everyone, the knowledge of everyone present, um, you know, Elrond, Glorfindel, even Gandalf, Tolkien, <laughs> right? Uh, that's it's not obvious yet. They don't yet know that Sauron can't be defeated even without his ring, right? That like the um, it is going to turn out, and Gandalf will see very clearly by the time we get to the you know the last debate after the Battle of Pelennor Field um, that really Plan A destroying the ring is really the it's the only plan. Right. If they don't accomplish that, then they're going to lose whether or not 
you know, he gets it back or not. It's just going to be easier, easier or, or hard, right? Fast or slow. Um, Elrond seems to be kind of getting there eventually, right? Like, could he resist Sauron? You know, could they stand up to him? Um, uh, no, he doesn't think that they could. Uh, so, you know, in the end, that's a bad outlook. But again, remember, as I was saying before, and I think is still very important here, um, councils like this are where things like last alliances come from, right? Uh, so, and the last time there was a meeting like this, right? The last time uh, there, you know, in the last alliance, Sauron was in fact overthrown. First, his armies were destroyed. Then he was cast down and destroyed. Sauron is not undestroyable. And this is another thing I was just reflecting on earlier today, in fact. Um, remember that the entire... Lord of the Rings concept, right? That is, I mean, from Sauron's point of view, the whole ring of power concept, the whole one ring concept is premised upon the idea that Sauron was going to struggle with overthrowing the elf lords. If he had no fear of Gilgalad, if he had no fear of Celebrimbor, if he had no fear of Galadriel, he wouldn't have made the ring of power. The ring of power was a risky move by Sauron. He was pushing his chips to the middle of the table, right? Uh, because he felt that he needed to in order to give himself the leverage that would enable him to win. Had he thought that his ends of, you know, conquest of Middle-earth and optimally enslavement uh, of the elves themselves could be accomplished personally, right? Uh, that is, could be accomplished uh, by... Um, by war, by, you know, open struggle against them, if he really thought they stood no chance against him, he would have just done that. Why make the Ring of Power? The Ring of Power made him vulnerable. It was a risky move by him. It was a, no, I won't say a desperation move, but it was a gamble by Sauron, right? It was a, uh, uh, it was a, a gamble and a gamble that he felt he needed to take. And absolutely, Ashnahazgir, right, that um, he had a huge fear of the Numenorians. Remember that he couldn't even he couldn't even fight the Numenorians like it was um, so one sided in the other direction. Um, so uh, uh, anyway, um, my point is. The Elf Lords, even the Elf Lords who are, yes, Gilgalad is gone, yes, Celebrimbor is gone, but they still have, you know, some members of the old team here, right? Um, even without Gilgalad or Elendil or Celebrimbor, could they make a fight of it, right? Is it impossible to imagine that they could defeat ringless Sauron, who's now weaker than he was before, right? I mean, um, I... Uh, you know, is Sauron af afraid of Galadriel? Yeah, I think he's wary of Galadriel. Sure. Um, so, is it possible that they could do it? Um, I don't think that Glorfindel rules it out. I think this is why he is raising these. And again, this we talked about this before, but I just I am feeling the need to reassert it uh, and to work it through in my head again a little bit. Um, uh, oh, right. I'm sorry, Ashna. You're right. They still have Celeborn. So forget about it, man. Sauron is hopeless. Absolutely. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that the good guys here are laboring under the idea that if they could achieve 
option number one, Gorfindel's option number one, that is ensure that Sauron never can get his hands on the ring. Um, if they can do that, then they can win, right? That at least, at least gives them an excellent chance of proceeding to phase two of that plan, which is then overthrowing Sauron again. But it's been, it's been done before, right? It's been done before and it can probably be done again. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I agree. Several people are uh, commenting on the fact that um, uh, uh, Fort Dauntless was just saying in a direct battle, Sauron probably loses. The problem is the massive influence he's managed to exert all across the Great Lands. Exactly. And that's the thing. That's the information that I think they don't have here. I don't think they yet fully realize. Also, remember, most of the people here are elves. How long has Sauron been back in business? Everybody knows that Sauron had empires, right, before. Um, why aren't they thinking that he's just going to snap his fingers and whip up his empires again? He's been gone for millennia, right? How long ago was it that he reestablished himself and started putting out the old Sauron propaganda, right, trying to reestablish old connections and uh, uh, build up old alliances and things like that? decades, only decades, like a blink in an elvish eye, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Uh, Eruachil, they just opened, he just opened up shop this morning, practically, right? They, they, they might think it's only been 67 years, Tony. They might be thinking that, um, you know, like basically they're still in time to nip it in the bud, potentially, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's um, it's not at all shocking to me that they would not either not have or not um, think through the issue there. And they find he's been much more efficient than they guessed, um, because, of course, what will become clearer is that he's been working at this actually for a good deal longer than 67 years um, no, he didn't set up shop back in, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sweep out the storefront and uh, uh, roll back the awning until, uh, you know, until 67 years ago. Uh, but his agents have been at work for a lot longer than that. But anyway, um, but yes, Fort Dauntless, if they were thinking nip it in the bud, the appearance of the nine would have squashed that. Well, certainly given them pause, right? Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Bjarnason are in actual fact, they've got less than a year before Sauron goes all out. Yeah, and they don't really know that necessarily. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so it does seem to me perfectly reasonable, given whom we're talking about here. Right, given that this is a conversation among, you know, Gorfindel, Gandalf, uh, and uh, Gorfindel, Gandalf, uh, Elrond, uh, the representative of of uh, Cured in the Shipwright, uh, right, with the kind of implicit addition of Goadriel, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, whom Elrond speaks for implicitly, um, uh, you know, I cannot and neither can they remember. Um, you know, I have not the strength, neither have they. Uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense that they would not rule out that possibility. Um, 
Okay. Um, yeah, now you're right, Scudo, uh, that Sauron doesn't know it uh, either, and that his going all out is a result of, you know, panicking, as Erev Numenor also is saying there, um, uh, when he sees Aragorn in the Palantir. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. But he's already mustering his armies even prior to that. Yes, he launches his attack sooner than he would have done. But he was already mobilizing his forces well before Aragorn looks into the Palantir, so it's not 100% uh, there. But um, anyway, um, uh, okay. So let's look at the response. Not safe forever, said Gandalf. There are many things in the deep waters, and seas and lands may change. And it is not our part here to take thought only for a season, or for a few lives of men, or for a passing age of the world. We should seek a final end of this menace, even if we do not hope to make one. That's always been such a fascinating sentence to me. I know, Ray, right? Like, we started a new slide. Um, uh, so, I, I, you know, I, at the risk of being hasty... Um, I want to come to that last sentence last, which seems only sensible. His response to... He has a kind of a twofold response here to Gorfindel, right? His first response is, I think you're miscalculating, Gorfindel, right? In the sea, it would be safe. Not safe forever. There are many things in the deep waters. So... That opens the door if you want to make the uh, Ase argument. Uh, though Ase technically isn't in the deep waters. He's in the coastal waters. Um, but who even know, knows what's down there? Brandon, if anything, um, uh, if anything, that's like uh, the, the Cthulhu argument, <laughs> right? Um, you got um, to be careful. You got to be careful. Uh, who knows? Um, because, of course, things in the deep waters... Are they like the things that are deep in the earth? Right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Whatever gnawed the tunnels at the bottom of Khazad Doom. Exactly, Nathan. Exactly. Um, and David, you're right. The ring does always have a way of being found. Um, uh, yes. Yes, exactly. And here I would write the things that swam too deedily and too greedily and too deep praise. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. What I would coming back to David's point there on YouTube, uh, the ring always has a way of being found. It does. And here I would point out that the power not only of the ring itself, but of providence has been pointing in that direction. So I think there are a couple ways in which we could say this. First, he's saying, look, I think you're miscalculating. I don't think it's going to be nearly as safe in the bottom of the ocean. As you, do you know who's down there? Have you ever been to the bottom of the ocean? Right? That is a sketchy neighborhood down there, my friend. And, like, you throw the ring down there, and who knows who's going to get it and where it's going to end up. And, you know, he doesn't say, like... We could end up in a worse fix if something rises from the sea uh, and, you know, we do end up, uh, you know, in some kind of deeply uncomfortable Lovecraftian situation. But um, it's it's not he doesn't say anything like that explicitly, though the many things in the deep waters phrase certainly opens up that kind of prospect. Um, but but I think that there's um, 
there's there's something else there too, and that is, as David was saying, the ring has a way of being found. Um, remember when we were talking last time about like reading the pattern, right? Sort of perceiving the way that the music is going, right? The way that the music has been going, like, has the ring been kept safe? Has it been kept secret? Um, yes, Providence has in fact contrived, um, contrived beyond any expectation. Had the ring merely stayed where it fell in the river, either Sauron or Saruman would certainly have found it because they were looking for it there, right? Um, so it would have been found. It would have been found. It would have fallen into the wrong hands for sure had it not been for the discovery by Daigle and then Smeagol and then Bilbo, uh, you know, in the chain of events that has... Uh, contrived to conceal the ring first deep under the mountains where no one had any way of knowing that it could possibly have ended up and then secondly in the Shire in the remote and distant and peaceful Shire where no one would ever think to look for it so um, and those things were at least partially orchestrated I believe pretty strongly by Providence Um, so um so again, yeah, I think that there's, um, uh, uh, I think that the, one of the things that kind of underlies Gandalf's objection here is if we do this, we are, we're moving against the tide, right? This is not, remember I talked about what, you know, that what should be shall be. This is not what should be, right? Um, if there is a reason why the ring the ring has on the one hand been concealed by providence but that same providence that concealed it has brought it here today here we are and here is the ring as gandalf has already said right um it's been in providence's power just to put it somewhere right uh and have it be never ever ever found again um but that's not where he is uh uh, that's not where 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 it went. That's definitely not right. Uh, you're right. JJ says the ring could have been rolled down the river to the sea if that was the solution. Exactly, JJ. And it brings me back around to uh, uh, the whole "often lies truth is hidden" thing, right? Um, or also, to, almost to kind of turn that around. The reason why Saruman's lie was so convincing is that it is perfectly plausible, right? Um, if providence were to have intervened in order to disarm Sauron, that's kind of exactly the sort of way it might well have done so, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, at Freebird, I agree. I, I think that Tolkien's handling of Providence, uh, you know, Providence, Destiny, and Free Will is... For my money, it is the most thoughtful and sensitive depiction of those themes, like treatment of those themes uh, that I know of in literature. I don't know anywhere uh, in uh, another work of fiction that does a better job uh, than Tolkien does of really um, thinking through those things in some really fascinating ways. Um, But, um, yeah, anyway... um, 
Yeah, exactly, Frumius Boojum. Providence could have cut out the middle hobbit uh, there and uh, just taken care of things directly. So again, I do think that that's part of the um, uh, part of what underlies Gandalf's reactions here, right? Um, but Mad Violins, I want to go back to a point that you just made a, a couple minutes ago. Um, uh, Mad Violinist says it's also true that in a world in decline, the ring becomes more and more dangerous as the power of those who would resist it fades. I think this is behind Gandalf's urgency to end the threat right now rather than hoping that a future finder could do so. Um, yeah, Mad Violinist, I think that's a really excellent um, I think it's a really excellent point. Um, it is not our part here to take thought only for a season or for a few lives of men or for a passing age of the world. We should seek a final end of this menace, even if we do not hope to make one. A passing age of this world, right? Um, maybe. Maybe if we chuck the ring into the ocean, we'll make it into the fourth age, right? Um, it'll happen. Uh, and to actually piggyback a little bit, um, Christopher, on that point... Um, what would that look like? Okay, let's think for a second. Imagine they threw the ring in the ocean and then had a fight with Sauron. Now they probably lose that fight because Sauron has way more armies than they do, though they don't know that yet. Um, but, uh, but anyway, let's assume, let's imagine a scenario in which things go well, right? Uh, imagine that, you know, the blue wizards have, like, success unbeknownst to anybody, successfully performed, uh, uh, you know, a... Um, uh, uh, you know, this uh, sort of resistance effort or this uh, uh, sort of undercover operation and they, you know, in fact, like half the armies of Sauron turn against him and like he doesn't win and then he's overthrown by the elf, the remaining elf lords and off they go, right? So they, they have overthrown Sauron again, you know, in like the battle of the lastest alliance and uh, end of the third age, could happen. In theory, not going to happen. We know. Um, but like, again, work with me here. Like, let's imagine that that's possible. Um, then what? The same thing's going to happen again, right? We've already done this show, right? We've already done this stunt of like throwing down Sauron and killing his body and, and then he took shape again. He's, he would do the same thing again as long as the ring is around, right? And this, Christopher, is where we get back to the point that you were making the power of those to resist him is in decline, definitely in decline. Um, if they stand a really weak chance of beating him in the war of the lastest alliance here, should that happen, um, they'd have less chance than Elendil and Gilgalad had for sure. But even if they did, then, then how about the next time, right? Um, Gandalf's argument in part here is we need to break this cycle, right? This is not going to pan out long term. Um, a passing age of the world. So even if we end up rerunning this show uh, again at the end of the fourth age, right? Well, then what, right? I, I mean, there's, there's no scenario in which this is trending upwards, right? There's just no scenario uh, uh, in, um, in which that would be trending upwards. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Sarah asks, why does that will weaken over time? It's a really good question with a really, really long and complex answer that I don't have time to give. In but other than just to say, that's how Middle-earth works. Um, things decline. Um, and in particular, 
the power of the elves declines. Um, that is something that is very clear, that is very explicit. They are fading. They are changing. Um, their power is diminishing. Um, when Galadriel says, I shall diminish and pass into the West and remain Galadriel, um, she's not celebrating that she's going to diminish. That was happening anyway. The question was whether or not she would diminish and also go into the West and remain Galadriel, or whether she would diminish and remain uh, haunting the Middle Lands and either becoming a dark goddess or uh, uh, becoming a, you know, a, an unhappy spirit wandering the lands. Like those were her, t and which neither of which case would she remain Galadriel, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Middle Earth is in constant decline. Um, I, I, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, right. It's uh, it's it is. Uh, Tolkien was not influenced. I do not. Uh, no, Tolkien was not influenced uh, by the concept of entropy, Kurtzimus. Um, but uh, I, I don't think he was surprised by the concept of entropy either. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Morgoth's ring, exactly, Ray. Yeah, I can. On the subject of really complicated, uh, uh, really complicated things uh, to talk about. But anyhow, okay. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> yes. So I agree. So anyway, Christopher, that was a really wonderful observation because you're right. And I think that we can hear that behind Gandalf's objection here. Um, another way to kind of summarize uh, his comment here is the the powers of good, right? The free peoples will never be in a better position than we are right now, ever, ever, ever be in a better position right now to seek a final end of this menace, right? If we don't accomplish it, who will? Who, for two reasons, right? One, because again, as Christopher was reminding us, the good guys are in decline, right? So, they're, are they weaker now than they used to be? Oh, yeah. I mean, remember Elrond's reminiscences, right? Recalling the how awesome, right, the forces of the last alliance and impressive they were, right? And they've got nothing like that now. Um, but, of course, he was even remembering that those forces were way, way, way less than the other forces uh, in the War of Wrath earlier on. Each time it's getting lesser and lesser. So anyway, not, not only that, but again, providence, right? What has been served up to them? Like, not only are they stronger than they will ever be again, ever, in future ages, but providence has served them up this hope, this possibility. Um, the direction, if there is a direction that... Um, you know, things are trending, right? That the song is tending. It is towards the ring being first removed, hidden, concealed from both Sauron and Saruman, it turns out, and then delivered by a circuitous and totally unpredictable route to them. Here we are, and here's the ring, right? Um, they are being given an opportunity. What is that opportunity for? An opportunity to hide it again? to try to do a better job of hiding it, a more permanent job of hiding it, or 
uh, to make a final end. And Gandalf is stating very clearly, um, it is not our part to take thought only for a season or for a few lives of men or for a passing age of the world. If we don't try to destroy it, then we're fa- like that. Those seem to be our marching orders here. Gandalf is he's being indirect, right? Um, when he talks about a final end, it's clear what he's pointing towards. Um, he's not yet stating it as firmly as Elrond is going to state it pretty soon. Um, Elrond is finally building to his thesis for the whole meeting, but um, uh, Gandalf is close to getting there, right? But again, one of the things that he is doing is pointing to this is, this seems to be the job that we've been given, right? And for us to try to do anything else is, we might try to talk ourselves into it, but at the end of the day, it's shirking that job. So his first sentence, not safe forever, there are many things in the deep waters and seas and lands may change, is like an objection. Like, you know, so footnote, Gorfindel, I'm not sure you're right about that. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not what he's really focused on, right? Yet, no, it's not at all impossible that Sauron will one day get it back. Um, uh, or that, you know, uh, uh, some dark eldritch thing will arise out of the seas uh, and cause even more trouble. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Arian Tuleva, I agree. Uh, it's not till such a close examination of this that I realize exactly how much Providence is actually involved. Agree. It's one of the things that makes Tolkien's treatment so admirable. Um, he does so little to draw attention to it. It really does. Um, yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, we should seek a final end of this menace, even if we do not hope to make one. The first half is the logical culmination of the paragraph, right? We should seek a final end of this menace. Right. And very apropos uh, to Glorfindel. Note again, note he's not only raising, uh, you know, some specific objections uh, to Glorfindel's suggestion about the ring being safe in the sea. He's also pointing out, like, that's that shouldn't be the goal, right? Option one is not really a valid option. Just hiding it away forever does not seem to be what has been entrusted to us here again, as we were pointing out, that was already in the uh, in the power of Providence and the Valar to bring about if that's the end that they wanted. Right. Um, uh, but that is not, in fact, what has happened. We should make a final end of this menace. So he's basically saying not only no to your particular suggestion, no to that whole concept. Let's let's take option one off the table. Forget hiding it. Right. Um destroying it is really our best hope. But then he slaps on that second clause. Even if we do not hope to make one. We should seek a final end of this menace even if we do not hope to make one. What? That's a a remarkable statement. Even if we do not hope to make one. Gandalf's premise and this of course is a premise that he's going to stick with later on is they should do what they should do 
not what they think they can do. That their choice of what to do should not be dependent upon their rational conclusions about its likelihood of success. Um, yeah, musical exactly. Even if we know we won't deceive, we won't succeed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Even if we do not hope to make one, um, even if we think we'll lose, even if we're sure we'll lose, we should do it. Gandalf is here suggesting, I think, um, that, and it's interesting because it's almost like in the last phrase there, in the last clause there, he's like almost rebutted himself, right? I mean, again, one way to, to characterize, you know, it's not our part here to take thought only for a season is, like I said, we're, we're not getting any stronger, right? Like if we, if we, if we run this, this show again in the fourth age, they're going to have a worse time of it. So we might as well try it now. Right. That sounds like an argument that would say, well, these are the, it might look kind of grim, but these are the best odds we're ever going to get. So we might as well give it a shot now, better now than later. Right. Except he then makes it clear that that is explicitly not his argument. Right. He's not saying, he's saying the opposite of, we should give this a shot now because our um, uh, because our um, our odds are greater than they will ever be uh, again. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of hope is he talking about? I agree. Uh, with the suggestion, uh, who was that? Um, Heir of Numenor, I am assuming also that it is Omdir. So remember, two kinds of hope, right? Omdir, which is, um, I hope it's going to work out. You know, or like uh, when somebody says, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, do you think you'll get uh, you know, do you think you'll 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 get the job right? And you say, I hope so, right? That's Omdir, um, a positive anticipation of the future, right? Um, Estelle is the kind of hope uh, which is much more like faith. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Um, Estelle is the belief that what should be shall be. That's Goadriel's sentence there has always been to me one of the like pithiest definitions of Estelle, essentially. Um, trust. Trust in the big picture. Trust that it's going to all work out. You're not going to be able to see the results. It might not work out locally. <laughs> That is, doesn't mean you're going to survive or things are going to turn out well for you, right? But that what should be shall be, no matter what happens locally, right? Um, uh, so, yes, Lissa Linda, I do believe he's saying, even if we do not amdir, essentially, to make one, um, this can't be a decision based on amdir. 
this can't be a decision based on that kind of hope because we think it's going to work out. It has to be based on a larger hope. We seem to have been given this job. Therefore, we should do this job, even if we don't think it's going to work. Because who knows, right? He's not saying it may look hopeless, but it'll probably work out unexpectedly because, you know, uh, again, so he's not saying because Providence has assigned us this job, I feel that despite the appearances, it's going to work out, right? Like it just, it, it might look bad. I know it looks bad, but, uh, but you know, Providence wouldn't give us this job if we couldn't do it. That's not what he's saying. He is saying this might end horribly, or at least what we would call horribly, right? We might all die terribly uh, in hideous suffering, <laughs> like that, and then everything that we love and know be like destroyed. That's totally on the table right here, right? But, but we trust that it's all going to work out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Matt, of course, you're very right to remember Sam, uh, becoming a, you know, a, a thing of adamant and steel on the last leg of his journey to Mount Doom when he abandons hope. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he is convinced that he is not going to survive. Um, yep, yep. Um, I agree, Ashnaz. Gandalf's phrasing is a little gentler than that. Uh, yes, yes. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, Tessa is wondering if there's a time in Middle-earth that people have Omdir and it actually works out. Well, I'm sure there must be some example. Um, the Last Alliance. I can accept that, Mad Violinist. They they set out to do a job to overthrow Sauron, and they did it. So, you know, and it was not without its, you know, costs, obviously. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Fourth Dauntless says, I'd say Frodo's gamble of going through the Old Forest is an example of that, possibly. Possibly. Um, Baron and Luthien worked out. Okay. Yeah, in a sense. Nahor says Thorin's company. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I agree, Lisa Linda, asking, making sure we're always asking that question when hope is mentioned. What kind of hope are we talking about? I do agree. That's a very relevant question. Um, yeah. Now, of course, what we do see is that almost all of the time that those those positive examples, right, when somebody sets out to achieve a quest and they do achieve a quest, um, it's interesting because they don't necessarily have Amdir. They don't necessarily have hope. I don't, like Baron and Luthien. Did they have hope? Like, I don't think they went and did it because they're feeling confident that it would pan out. You know, they're like, we've got a plan. And as long as we execute the plan, this is going to go great. Right. I don't think that was their attitude as they approached, you know, Angband. Um, 
even Thorne's company. Well, they didn't have a plan <laughs> of any kind, <laughs> right? Uh, you, I guess you could argue that all they had was Amdir and no plan, uh, potentially. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Arendel? Maybe. Kinda. Except again, well... Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. There's there's lots of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shafts uh, on Twitch says, Step one, gather dwarves. Step two, who knows? Step three, profit. That's pretty much their plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. No, I don't... Yeah, Heir of Numenor, I do not think that Arendel, uh was optimistic. You know, that he thought, like, you know, I don't think that we can imagine, you know, Arendel trying to steer, you know, Bingalot through the, uh, you know, through the mists uh, and, you know, the Magic Isles and saying, you know, uh, you know, never tell me the odds. Right. Like, I, 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 I don't I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. But um, anyway, yeah. Um, so. Okay. We'll come back, of course, to Gandalf's assertion, or rather, it will come up again. Galdor wants to bring it back to cases, though. Now, I've mentioned my problems. Here's another one of my problems. Galdor. Galdor's next argument is a bit of my problem. Uh... <clears throat> had we just stopped at Gandalf there we should seek a final end of this menace even if we do not hope to make one okay I'm on board right I'm on board fine um, but then Galdor speaks up and that we shall not find on the roads to the sea a final end of this menace not hope I'm assuming I'm trying to get his antecedent to that there I think it's not hope um, I think it's a final end of this menace that they will not find on the roads to the sea. If the return of the if the return to Iarwine be thought too dangerous, then flight to the sea is now fraught with gravest peril. My heart tells me that Sauron will expect us to take the western way when he learns what has befallen. He soon will. The nine have been unhorsed indeed, but that is but a respite, ere they find new steeds and swifter. Only the waning might of Gondor stands now between him and a march in power along the coasts into the north. And if he comes, assailing the white towers and the havens, hereafter the elves may have no escape from the lengthening shadows of Middle-earth. Okay. Uh, I, um... Yeah, I, I agree, Green Great Dragon. Like, he totally had to poke the Boromir bear here, right? Didn't he? Like, you know Boromir is going to pipe up as soon as somebody throws out a reference to the waning might of Gondor, right? I mean, that stings. That stings right there. Um, I've never understood this. This has been a thing 
that I've had a really hard time with. Because Galdor, what you just said doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. At all. Now, I guess some people are saying Galdor's a homer, right? Um, that, that, you know, he's thinking about the, he's thinking about the, the, the Grey Havens, right? Um, you know, like, don't put that on us, guys, right? Like, if they, don't make us, you don't paint a target on the Grey Havens, right? Look, we've been trying to keep, the, we've been trying to keep the operation open for some, and with some success for a long time, right? We're just, we're running a ferry operation and, and we've been kind of keeping under the radar and it's been fine, right? Uh, please do not draw the entire ire of Sauron in the direction of the Grey Havens, please. You're right, Thalus. It is the fairy fairy. I had never thought of that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, so I, I agree that it does seem a rather Grey Havens-centric kind of speech that he's making here. Um, but, um, uh, but that's not my problem. That's not my problem with Galdor's speech. Which, uh, though I, I'm willing to agree, <clears throat> that his view here seems to be significantly narrower, certainly, than Gandalf's, right? Gandalf is talking about, uh, it is not our part to take thought for only for a season or a few lives of men or a passing age of the world. And Galdor is much more locally concerned, right? Um, arguably, he's thinking first and foremost of the Grey Havens themselves. But secondarily, at the very least, He's uh, he's thinking about um, uh, he's thinking about elves, right? Um, and therefore, much more um, uh, much more narrowly. Yeah, Michael, he is like the elven Boromir in his provincialism. Um, if uh, if if Boromir has shown a sort of inescapable Gondorian provincialism, unfamiliar with the rest of the world behind the bulwark of the West, um, uh, Galdor. Also, remember, he was admitting his ignorance, right? This is Mr. I know little of the Arwine, but the name. Um, so, uh, you know, it's. Um, again, I'm not trying to blame him for this. I'm not saying Galdor's a bad person because of this. Um, nor am I only saying that this speech seems like a bit of a come down, you know, a bit of an anticlimax after Gandalf's very portentous proclamation there at the end of his previous paragraph. Um, uh, okay, Forthalus says I'd call this indifference rather than ignorance, which is a bit more blameworthy. Um, okay, I mean, possibly, possibly. I'm not trying to deflect any possible criticism from Galdor, though I guess I am kind of trying to put the best, uh, the best face on it, perhaps, but... Um, <laughs> Tony says Galdor's like I have one job y'all right yeah we just build ships these days you know says Arnas absolutely um, uh, yeah yeah but um, anyway but it's not just that it's not just that if it were only that I could get over it or I could you know I could just take this as a you know a flaw in Galdor or whatever but no that's not my problem it's his logic. It's his logic. Um, my heart tells me that Sauron will expect us to take the Western way when he learns what has befallen. Now, I agree with that. That seems to me perfectly logical. Um, I'm putting myself into Sauron's position. Um, 
what is what are the worst case scenario? Well, no, I think that he is not going to think that plan Sauron is not going to assume that plan A is going to be to send the ring to Valinor. He's going to think that plan A um <laughs> Sorry, I just saw uh Erua Hill's comment that Galdor may be the fair weather the 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 fair fair weather fairy fairy fairy. <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> um <laughs> Boy, that's a lot, a lot, a lot harder to work out uh, audibly. Uh, there we go. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry, getting distracted. Sauron is going to think that their planning is going to be to claim it for themselves, right? His number one fear, obviously, is going to be uh, they've got it in Rivendell. Well, crap, right? Elrond is going to take it, or Gandalf is going to take it, or Gorfindel's going to take it. I mean, could you imagine that? Like Gorfindel. I, I I suspect Sauron would actually be afraid, right? I mean, if Gorfindel takes up the ring, man, that is Sauron. That's going to ruin Sauron's whole day, right? If uh, if Gorfindel does that, so I mean, oh man, so like that's he's got to assume that that Plan A is somebody's going to take up the ring and use it against him. That's obviously the big concern, and we will see that that is in fact the concern that is going to be occupying Sauron's imagination, right, as he moves forward. But I am willing to concede to Galdor that he that if Sauron gets past plan A, right, uh, into thinking like, okay, you know, if Sauron is sitting there saying, all right, all right, um, worst case scenario is here, let's brainstorm people, uh, what might... Can you, anybody think of wild and crazy ideas that the if the good guys don't take up the ring, like, hear me out, hear me out. If the good guys don't take up the ring, what might they do to it? I agree. If Sauron goes there, I think it's very likely uh, that he is going to um, think, oh, God, oh, crap. They're going to just put it on a boat and take it over to Valinor. And then what am I going to do? Um, because I agree. Like, that would... Um, uh, uh, that would that would be a major blow, right? I mean, he's going to have a hard time recovering it out of the very safe deposit box in Mandos. Um, uh, I know Sauron doesn't have Thorin Gwethel to bounce ideas off of anymore. It's it's true. It's, he's really been suffering since then. I think, um, but um, uh, do I think Sauron would comprehend why the Valar wouldn't take it, Sam? I don't. I don't think that Sauron would be capable of making the same conclusion. I think that Elrond is wiser than Sauron as far as this goes, because I think that Sauron is in a different place in relationship with the music in general and the Valar in particular. I don't think he does have a clear bead on what they're thinking and what they might do. Remember, he's going down Melkor's road, and by the end, Melkor could not even... He was totally taken by surprise by the War of Wrath because he thought he knew how things were going. He thought he had the Valar pegged. Their mercy, uh, uh, their pity on the people of Middle-earth, he never saw coming. And um, so I I think Sauron is the same. I think that he doesn't understand them. I think that he doesn't get them. Um, And I don't think that uh, he's going to be... as good as Elrond and, and others uh, at uh, 
kind of being in touch with this. He's totally out of tune with the music now, Tony. Absolutely. His he's he is now full time in the drowning out the music uh, uh, business. That's what he does. Right. Again, he's 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 now 100 percent on the blaring loud trumpet notes to try to drown out the rest of the music. He's taken up that lead now. And that's absolutely what he does. Um, uh, yes. Agreed, Nathan. Uh, Sauron is like Satan in Dante's Inferno, stuck, turned in on himself, and only understands himself. Yeah, little spoilers there for our Inferno discussion. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I agree, JJ. I don't think he can hear the opposing music. He just hears like noise that he's trying to drown out, the noise he's trying to contest with. Absolutely. So no, I don't think that he does... Uh, he would do that, but so would he know? Would he? Would he calculate and be like, "Nah, I'm gonna call their bluff on this one, right? Let them try to put it on a boat. If I know the Valar, they're not gonna have anything to do with this." No, I just I don't think he has the ability. I don't. I think he lacks the. Uh, it's almost. It's not. It's not just that he lacks the data. I, I kind of think he he's at this point almost lacks the apparatus uh, to um, uh, to go there. Um. But, um, yeah, he just, he just has this ringing in his ears, uh, Rowan. Yeah. It's something like that. Um, so, uh, anyway. Okay. So yes, but again, I will give Galdor the one thing I will go, I, I will go along with Galdor as far as that, as far as saying that, yes, I agree that it is possible that Sauron is going to think they might try to take it to the sea because he certainly would view that as a kind of disaster, right? Uh, uh, you know, of, uh, for his part. So, uh, sure, sure. But, um, uh, but it's the rest of what Galdor says. If the return to Ayarwine be thought too dangerous, wait a second. Do we know that? Remember that when that was put forward, that was Aristor, wasn't it, who said that? Um, what they said was not that we will never make it back to the old forest from here. What they said was that they could not go back unmarked, unguessed. Like, unguessed, unmarked by any spy. The point was that if they take the ring back to Tom Bombadil... Sauron will eventually find out what they did with it. He's going to figure it out. And so therefore, eventually, he's going to go and attack Tom Bombadil and try to take it back. Um, that's, what, that's where that conversation led before. The point wasn't that, you know, we'll never make it. Like, it's, pr it's pretty much functionally impossible for us to get back to Tom Bombadil by now. I mean... Whatever. So he says, if the return to Yarwain be thought too dangerous, then flight to the sea is now fraught with gravest peril. Peril in what sense? If it's the same kind of peril, then he means peril of discovery. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Um, that there is no way they could possibly take the ring back to the Grey Havens unguessed, unmarked by any spy. Yeah. No. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Sauron would definitely twig to what they were doing if they tried to take the ring back to the sea. 100%. Okay, so m m maybe that's all he means. Maybe that's all he means. 
My heart tells me that Sauron will expect us to take the Western Way when he learns what has befallen. Okay, Galdor, I'm not 100% sure I agree with your heart, but okay. that's. But, but again, I'm willing to go with you there. He soon will. Does Sauron call all time soon? How soon will he learn about this? Galdor? The nine have been unhorsed indeed, but that is but a respite ere they find new steeds and swifter. Oh, okay. Y yeah. Um. Uh. Uh. Um. Okay. Where are they going to find new steeds and swifter than they had? I mean, their horses have drowned. Right? So, um. Where. But okay, whatever. Let's assume they can find good horses. Let's even as assume they can find better horses, right? Um, or maybe he's thinking Sauron has a backup plan. Maybe he knows something we don't, Tony. I don't know. Swifter steeds might be found in Rohan, but, but seriously? Like, how fast can the... Uh, Riders without their horses get to Rohan. I'm guessing that if they can get there faster than a horse could ride, they wouldn't need horses in the first place, would they? So, okay. Um. Um. I, maybe he is forthless, thinking that they'll come back uh, from Mordor with at the head of an army. Possibly. Uh, possibly, but, um, they've got some time in, in that case. If the Ringwraiths have to get back to Morgoth, Morgoth, back to Mordor is what I meant to say. If they get back to, I'm talking about the Silmarillion a lot lately. Um, if they get back to Mordor and then have to rally the troops and set out through Gondor, because whatsoever we might think about the waning might of Gondor, um, it's going to at least be a brief impediment, isn't it? Uh, you know, it'll be a, it'll be at least a temporary annoyance <laughs> to the armies of Mordor. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, so, um, Asphaloth is pretty fast, right? Like, let's put Gorfindel on Asphaloth. You know, now we, we don't have Shadowfax anymore to do the horse race that we all wanted to do, but we still have Asphaloth, right? So let's get Gorfindel on Asphaloth, <clears throat> have him sling Frodo carrying the ring over his saddle bow, and make a beeline to the Grey Havens. Might their progress be marked by some spy such that Sauron figures out where they went? Yeah, I, I think that overwhelmingly likely. Is Sauron going to be able to do a darn thing to prevent it? What? What is he going to do? What could he possibly do? How could he do anything? Into, it's just That's why my subtitle for this slide is what is the extent of Galdor's geography? Because I'm like, seriously, like, have you looked at a map, Galdor? Do you know how far you are away from Mordor? Do you know how much closer the Grey Havens are to you right now than Mordor is? I, I don't get it. I don't get it. So, um, I, 
you know, I don't, um, right now, Trifle's saying, is there a ship ready? Maybe not. Maybe there, maybe Galdor knows where they are in their production line, right? And it's not about how fast you can get to the Grey Havens. It's how fast you could take off from there, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> like Quibot says, maybe Galdor is just dumb. You know, I, look, it's possible, um, it's possible. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, but see, Rowan, I would think the same objection would move forward. That is, um, uh, Rowan was saying, I guess for elves... Sauron announced himself, you know, like a, a couple of days ago. So the waning of Gondor, you know, the waning might of Gondor might 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 only last out for a couple of minutes, right? Yes, but again, by the same measure, the trip to the Grey Havens should only take about fifteen minutes, <laughs> right? So I mean, like, how much time do they need? <laughs> Series responding to my uh, uh, to to my looking at my watch and mentioning fifteen minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's the they have a really big head start, Galdor. Like it's it's um um <laughs> Eru Hill says he did exclude himself from the wise earlier implicitly. And Erev Numenor says that here we thought he was just being modest, right? Apparently no, no, he was he was spot on. He was spot on. Um uh, Praise is now speculating that perhaps, <laughs> perhaps this is why Kieran sent him uh, to get him out of his hair. That's a little unkind, but uh, who knows? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, only the waning might of Gondor stands now between him and a march in power along the coast into the north. I mean, Fort Thalas, I agree with your claim before. I agree with your claim before that um, he is clearly envisioning an army marching out of Mordor, like it did in the Second Age. Galdor remembers, right? Galdor remembers when Eriador was full of the armies, the invading armies of Sauron. This is what he foresees, right? And all he's got to do is, uh, you know step over uh, the the waning power of Gondor on the way, right? You know, just kind of stomp them on the path through. And that's not going to stop him. So, um, you know, open door into Eriador, just like before the establishment of Gondor back in the Second Age. So, um, you know, great, great. Um, uh, Tony thinks this is Galdor's version of Struck by Lightning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that... Um, uh, yeah, uh, Kit was saying it's it's like an elvish panic attack <laughs> happening here. Perhaps, perhaps. Ooh, ouch. Yes, you're right. Tessa says that I'm one to talk about being unkind to non-wise elves. Ooh, oh, yeah, Tessa with the with the telling stroke on behalf of Caliborn. You are so right. I am absolutely guilty as charged. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, now... Corey Schwab, I agree with you. I think that, to me, is the most sensible and generous, I would add, reading of this passage. Okay, it's uh, like the Glorf or not Glorfindel. 
very far from Gorfindel. That Galdor is just losing it <laughs> here and, and doesn't have a clear idea what he's talking about um, is, um, is <laughs> this is another sign of the elves fading, Kurtzema says. You know, yeah, it's possible. Like, we can't rule it out. But the most generous reading, I think, is, um, uh, is Corey Schwab's reading, which says that he's not talking about getting rid of the ring. He's not saying we're going to be incapable of completing this task. Like, we have no Amdir, no hope of succeeding in the send the ring into the sea or send the ring to Valinor, either one of those plans, right? Because both of those plans involve us getting to taking the ring to the Grey Havens. If we do, he's going to know where we went and he's going to come after us and we're not going to be able to stop him. And he's not wrong. He's absolutely not wrong about those things. And I think the more I think about it, Corey, the more I think you're right that um, he's not saying I think that the thing that always got to me, I always understood Galdor to be saying, if we attempt this, we will fail. So we shouldn't attempt it. That's the reason we shouldn't attempt it, because it's not going to work. Sending the ring to the sea is not going to work. And the sentence that always led, it was his second one. If the return to Iarwain be thought too dangerous, then the flight to the sea is now fraught with gravest peril. I always took his fraught with gravest peril to mean we, we, we can't make it. We'll never make it. We'll never make it. Um, and I'm, I was always like, dude, what are you on about? Like, what kind of assets do you think Sauron has in this region? Right? I mean, yeah, he had the Nazgul. That was a big deal, man. Though not a Glorfindel level big deal, right? Um, but still, still, you know, uh, yeah, they were a big deal. But they've been dealt with, and at the very least, they're unhorsed. When they were horsed, they couldn't stand up to Glorfindel, and now they're not, not so whatever. Like, what do you think is going to prevent you getting from Rivendell to the sea if you guys set your mind on it and you all set out, right? Like, let's let's all set out in a big troop, right? Gorfindo on Asphaloth and we'll get all the other elf lords and Elrond himself and Gandalf and Aragorn and even Boromir can tag along um, and, uh, uh, you know, and let's, uh, let's ride in force to the, to, the, to the beach from here, right? Really? Like, what could possibly Sauron do from where he is with the assets he's got in the field to oppose them? Not plausible, not possible. That's what always confused me. But if we understand instead that that's not what he meant, what he meant was he'll know it's too dangerous to go back to Yarwin because he'll see where we went. He'll definitely see where we went. There is gravest peril, not of failure, but of detection on the way to the sea. That sets things in a different trajectory, because then I agree, as Corey Schwab was saying, um, we we don't. We don't, um, uh, that's not how it, that's not what he's worried about. We, yes, we could probably succeed in sending it away. Um, but it's all going to be over for us at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And Turambar, you're right. He is right. The Havens are absolutely essential to Elvendom on Earth because it is their only hope against becoming specters. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, if he's got one job and he's right that it's an important job. Is his uh, viewpoint a little bit provincial, a little bit narrow, um, a little bit, you know, you know, is he kind of focused on his uh, little purpose? To, yes, because his little purpose is an important purpose. Um He's he's got a role, and it's a it's a really important role. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I this 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 works. This works for me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Prey says, how is the ring going west more trackable or obvious to spies than the ring going south as ends up happening? We're going to get to this next week. Next week, we're going to get to this. And uh, this has been fantastically helpful to me because this really changes things for me. One of, my, one of the things which has always been one of my least favorite things about the whole Council of Elrond, honestly. Um, but, of course, especially in this sector of it, um, is that um, Tolkien uses the argument, the that's what the enemy shall least expect argument quite a bit. And I've never been a huge fan of it. Like That always felt to me a little bit weak. Like, we shouldn't do this because... This is what Sauron will expect. And like in this case, and this is one of the cornerstones of why I was always a little bit impatient with that argument. Because what I want to say to Galdor is like, who cares if he expects it if he can't stop it? Right? I mean, he, no, you know, and, and like and maybe he will expect it. But again, he there's no way he could possibly stop you. Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yep, yep. Um, with this stuff in mind, with that new understanding of that first full sentence there, um, and Corey Schwab's very sensible, um, so C. Schwab, thank you very much for your uh, your point there. I think you've solved my problem uh, almost completely. I, I feel very satisfied by this response. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's going to help. I think it's, I think I think that reading is going to be the gift that keeps on giving uh, as we move forward into Elrond's logic in the next. Uh, slide. A little teaser next time. Um, I think that we will get um, Elrond's final declaration. The moment that he has been building up to for the entire Council of Elrond next week. Uh, so we're going to we're going to we're going to leave it there. We're going to we're, we're going to leave it there. We did cover some ground today, did we not? Um, look at that. So um, so very good. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for our text discussion. We'll, we'll be back next week. Uh, tune in next week uh, to hear Elrond say. Uh, so uh, that's where we're going to get. Uh, it is 
field trip time, uh, and we're going to go back to our explorations of Middle-earth, which, of course, are supposed to be in conjunction with our analysis of the book, but, of course, when we proceed this slowly through a scene in which everyone is sitting around the table talking, there's only so long we can explore the representation and adaptation of that room uh, in uh, uh, in The Lord of the Rings Online. So um, we are branching out, of course, and we have been um, uh, looking around the Vales of Anduin, uh, having explored where the ring was not, um, uh, following the theme of uh, Isildur and discussing some things that we're talking about there. Um, but um, anyway, so... Uh, we are going to head back. So this week, uh, so Valora couldn't be with us. Uh, uh, she's unwell this week, but um, she should be back next week. And um, uh, we're going to head to Holtvis, I think, which means I think I want, yeah, I'm going to, instead of uh, uh, porting, I'm going to head over to the stable um, in uh, South Bree here uh, and go to Holtvis, because I'm pretty sure Druid's Fire can get to Holtvis from there, right? Yes, you can, our right. Ranging Stable Master. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Druid's Fire. Thanks for joining us in Valori's absence there. Indeed. Though tomorrow, Standing Stone is adding a new uh, section of Breeland to the party. A new section of Breeland? Yes. The Southward Road? No, no. sadly. No. Oh. That's the part of uh, Breeland I've always... I'm always so disappointed at how soon it. the... The, the, the Greenway ends. Maid of Lions likes to tease us when that's going to happen. I, I, I'm taking bets as to whether it's going to end before your class does. What? The, come first. the development yeah. of, the, of the, 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 the... So that you can ride the Greenway all the way from Fornos down to Minas yeah. Tirith? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah. Bingo, of course, goes on the northern part from the south. Right. Before you get to the South Farthing, but we don't see what happens there. Yeah. Uh, but it's the Wildwood, uh, which is going to appear uh, between Trestlebridge and Evendim. Uh, and there's new Dock Masters that you can use to get thither and yonder, and it'll be fun. Oh, right. The new Even the, 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 the way up to Evendim. Right, right, right. So that's going to that's gonna be officially released in the main game. That's cool. Okay, so let's see. Uh, so, Druid's Fire, could you help us to fellow up? I'm doing it. Excellent. So whom should people contact? Kyressa. Uh, K-Y-R-E-S-S-A. -S -S All right. Very good. And where are you, Corey? I'm at the South Breeze Devil Master. And I'm looking for Holtfis. Oh, hang on. I should, at the bottom. Yeah, hang on a second. Gotta, I gotta recalibrate things here. Yeah, okay. There we go. Here we are. Resuming my hoping to... There we go. Trying to get my display sorted out there. Uh, good. All right. Um, We're waiting for you. No problem. There it is. Holtfis. Got it. En route. Or maybe. Nope. I just froze. Alas, okay, Arctic Crayon, Lord of the Rings is online is not available on any current game console. It is not available on consoles. Nope. nope. Just PCs. And 
Max, though with some less stability on Max. Okay, good old hold this. All right, here we are. Okay. Excellent. So, we ready to head out? We are because just organizing. Good. So, to, so while you organize, finish organizing, I'm going to look back at the map again. We are almost done. We've been almost everywhere here uh, in the Vales of Anduin. And uh, we are... Um, We've been all around the south. We went down to the Godden Fields, of course, and explored all around there. We've been all the way up into the mountains, all the way down to the borders of Lothlorien, up to Ross Gobel. Um, we've been everywhere except this northern bit, So, the, which is, of course, very important because we get the Carrick here and we get Bjorn's house over here. Um, and those are our final... We even went to the gate into Mirkwood. Our final frontiers here in the Vales of Anduin are the Carrick and Bjorn's house. So we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna head to the Carrick. I don't know if we'll do both. Probably just the Carrick tonight, and then Bjorn's house next week, and then we'll be done with the Vales of Anduin. Okay, so let's uh, let's head out here if everybody's ready. Lovely evening here in the Vales of Anduin. And yes, absolutely, Kokovutin uh, Miner, they're absolutely still creating new content for Lotro. Um, uh, they are, right now, the most recent thing that they just did. Let's see, which way do we go from here? Are we go this right? Way, to we go the left? northwest. Okay. Turn left. Oh right, go down to the river and then head north from there. Um, anyway, yeah, they they're just they're working on Mount Gundabad up in the north, so they're continuing to round out uh, the explorable map. It still remains my hope that we're going to get. Of course, like I would like them to get to the Grey Havens, and in particular, of course, I would like them to do the scouring of the Shire. Um, but understandably. Um, you know, many of us who love the game are a little bit reluctant for them to go in that direction because, like, once they get to the Grey Havens, like, you know, it kind of feels like the end of the line, right? So um, there's plenty to explore before we get to the Havens. Um, uh, I'm eager to see them, but I can wait. I can wait. Um, the interesting thing is that world builder uh, Matt Elliott, aka yeah. Scenario, mm -hmm. just did another of his uh, live streams on Wednesday of last week, where he was asked what places would he like to build the most, and mm -hmm. his immediate answer was the Tower Hills. The Tower Hills, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I mean it's it's certainly uh, there's no question in my mind that that's it's got to be like a top destination on everybody's wish list, right? I mean, that's that's very sensible. But at the same time, Tower Hill, like, yeah, the Tower Hills would be fun, but, um, okay, hang on, where's the, oh, there's the Carrick, okay, I see it now. And where's the bridge? Where are we in relationship to the bridge? Where, there it is, okay, there's our broken bridge back there, where we were last week. Just getting my bearings here. Um, Anyways, at the same time, I would, um, I would really like to go to Rune and Harad. Thank you. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go down to Harad more. I totally, um, 
would Sam be Berlin's into that. been teasing that for three years now. I believe it. I believe it. I know that, I mean, I, you know, talked to them about that. You know, they mentioned the hopes to eventually get to Hared years ago. Um, but um, exactly, JJ, let's help to rebuild Rune and Hared. There's going to be so much that will have been destroyed, not just uh, physically destroyed uh, by um, uh, by Sauron and Sauron's armies, but but culturally destroyed, right? All of the uh, the ways in which uh, Sauron would have uh, just laid waste to the people and their cultures in his uh, you know desire rapidly to build rebuild his kingdom and his armies is. Um, you missed your exit. I missed the exit. Yep. Okay, so out of curiosity, what's up this way? If we keep going this way. Uh, that would be the Wells of Langflood. The Wells of Langflood, really? Mm-hmm. How fascinating. Framsburg, no way. No way. Do we get, do they have, oh, can we find the, like, former home of Scott of the Worm? Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a whole oh, bunch man. of story. I bet you. Find all the goodies. Oh, absolutely. So up here where the Aotheod used to be. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. I bet you we can find like the very rock that Aerol the Young's dad hit his head on uh, and died. Uh, There is a story about that. I would expect to find it. See, that's the kind of attention to detail that I would. um, uh, that I that I have uh, long come to expect uh, from Lotro world building. Oh yeah, Made of Lions and of course Chris Pearson are all over uh, every little tidbit in the appendices and in all the side stuff that they have access to. And y- you know, they cram every last word into the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. So cool. Right. And then we go, okay. Right. And then up north of there, if I keep, so if I keep following this road long enough, then, uh, uh, then I'll get all the way to Gundabad. Right. And get immediately murdered by 130 mobs. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that's a given. Uh, I mean, goodness, <laughs> I'd probably get murdered by the deer here if I didn't have folks protecting me. Um, I'm level 120, but I think that Narnian may well be the wussiest level 120 in the entire game. So, um, yeah. Okay. Anyway. All right. Fine. So I will, I will, uh, I will curb my enthusiasm to continue heading north, uh, at least for now. And, um, we will head up where, so where's the turn? Uh, back here to the north. You were right. Did I miss it again? Yes. It, it is, to be fair, kind of hard to see when it's dark out. Is there like a road? No. Oh, there's not a road. Okay. But anyway, you so. You don't believe in paving things. Come that's on. the. That's. Uh, sorry, I can't. There we go. Greenstone's got a big red light. Anything. Help. Okay. Thank you, JJ. <laughs> That'll do it. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at. There we go. That's what I wanted to do. So that's the Carrick right there? Is the Carrick mm-hmm. due west of us right now? Yes. Oh, yeah. I can see the path up it. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah, when I took Maven on our unauthorized adventure into the unfinished Carrick, you couldn't climb up the hill. And alas, unless you're a Bjorning, you can't go in the cave. Unless they changed it. Right. Okay. 
All right. But if you go in front of it, uh, you'll get another tick off of the, the deed. All right. So I'm dismounting because I'm definitely, I think I'm not going to need my horse from here. Um, I always meant to see you all safe over these mountains, said Gandalf. There we go. What, has somebody written, like, uh, lit votive candles here? Yeah, that's part of a Bjorn quest. Okay. Uh, nice to see their beeswax candles. You can see the beeswax mm -hmm. around them. That's nice. Okay, so this cave, this, so this is the cave, like, so near where they were, and my race is not compatible. I know, I'm not a Bjorn. Um, okay, so only Bjornings can go into this cave. Right, it's, it's, a, it's a racial quest thing, yeah. What, what, what's in the cave? It's just basically you talk to somebody. It's kind of like a, a visit to, um, you know, do like a meditation thing. I honestly don't remember. It's been such a long time. Okay. But it was, wasn't anything. It's not part of the, I, I know it's not part of the Bjorning starter thing because I did the Bjorning yeah. starter thing ages ago, like right after the Bjornings came out. And that was of course long before this region was developed. Um, okay. So, but anyway, in there is the campsite where they sort of recovered themselves, where they gathered themselves, that is Gandalf and the dwarves and Bilbo, uh, after they got dropped off by the eagles. But they didn't get dropped off by the eagles down here. They got dropped off further up. So we should go. We should go. I, I see everyone else has already gone up, and I, I'm slow. So here we go. We're heading up to the top of the Carrick. Now, these steps always kind of confuse me. There were steps cut into the Carrick. Weren't there something like steps? I don't honestly recall. I'm trying books. to remember if there was what kind of description there was of that. Because they descended. You know, I know they didn't like, uh, you know, repel down the Carrick when they were dropped off. Um, and I have a vague memory of there being so oh, good. The sun is rising. How lovely. Um, I have a vague memory of something like a reference to steps. Can somebody find that? Um... I like the idea that Bjorn, the sense that they give in the game here with the stairs, because I mean, this is as several people are saying, um, thank you, JJ, I, I was hoping you would paste in some text for me. Here's the text. There was a flat space on the top of the hill of stone and a well-worn path with many steps leading down it to the river. I thought there were steps. Across which a ford of huge flat stones led to the grassland beyond the stream. There was a little cave, a wholesome one with a pebbly floor, at the foot of the steps and near the end of the stony ford. So exactly like they've depicted it here, a well-worn path with many steps. So one of the questions obviously is why? If Bjorn just climbs up here for the view, occasionally, right? I mean, if that's the why of the, of the Carrick or, or, or of the, the steps up the Carrick, then, and this is a cliff right here, right? I shouldn't continue there. Um, if that's the why of these steps, then it truly does not really make all that much sense, uh, for there to be a set of steps here. Um, because it would have taken a very great deal of work. So, uh, did Bjorn build the steps? I, I don't know, Emily. I mean, it says that it's well-worn. So, um, uh, I, um, 
one possibility, of course, that it's been worn for generations, right? That it's that this is an, an, an old path that Bjorn has been using, but that he didn't develop. Um, and honestly, it's a little hard for me to understand, uh, well, even the how, to some extent. How would Bjorn make this path? But why would he make this path? I mean, great view. Great view and important for him to look out about the lands around him, you know, to see anything sketchy going on. I can understand that, but he wouldn't have to carve a whole huge well-worn path, you know? I mean, there would be other mechanisms by which he could get up there, right? So, um, uh, yes, JJ, that's exactly what I was thinking of. JJ says, um, when Gandalf is explaining why he calls this stone the Carrick, um, Gandalf says that Carrick is his name for such things. Um, yes. So he says maybe Carrick is his name for big rocks somebody carved steps into. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that, I think, is um, uh, a really interesting proposition. And that's precisely what I was thinking, JJ, as I was coming up the, the lower end of the steps there, was what if uh, Carrick is his name for not rock in the middle of river, but for whatever this place was, for whatever this place was intended for. Because if Bjorn didn't make the steps, who did and why? Um, again, I, I doubt it was just for a lookout post. Um, maybe there is some other purpose for the Carrick. Um, unknown purpose. Maybe it has some kind of uh, symbolic value, some kind of quasi-religious value. I don't know um, what kind of uh, purpose the Carrick might have had and what kind of associations it might have had. B Bjorn has people. He has a history. Um, would there have been some of his own ancestors which had history here? Would this have been some kind of sacred place or place of refuge or place of meeting, or I don't know what exactly, right? But there could be lots of different possibilities of that kind, which could lead Bayorn to view this place as, in some sense, a special place. Um, and I was thinking precisely that same thing, JJ. What if, um, what if he does? Um, uh, what if he does... Uh, what if that's what Carrick means to him, not just Big Rock in the middle of River? Um, but, um, so There's yeah. There's also other possibilities too. Yeah, definitely. Because Mirkwood slash Greenwood the Great is just to the east. Uh -huh. And as you saw from the maps, Fromsburg, there were men to the north and we know there were dwarves around. So any, any one of the races could have built these steps. Yep. Uh, though the lack of ornamentation would kind of make me feel it was a mannish thing. Yeah. Versus elves or dwarves, because they love decorating everything. Oh, yeah, agreed. This does not look like elvish or dwarvish work. I would almost be ready to rule that out of hand, really. Uh, because, um, uh, rule that out, out of hand, I mean to say. Because, you're right. I mean, not only that, but shoddy workmanship. I mean, look at these steps. Right? I mean, like, they're old, sure, but, like, they're barely here. Right? It's We've been up lots of ancient dwarvish flights of steps, and, and look at how crooked they are, right? I mean, look at that. Look at that flight of steps meandering its way. Maybe it was the foreman from the bridge. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Like, there you just get, like, a set of steps with a disjoint in the middle, right? No, no, no. 
No, no, no. This was not a conversion uh, from metrics to... Okay, may the wind under your wings bear you where the moon strides and the sun... Wait, interesting, they changed it. Well, as you know, they have to. Yeah, they have to, right. Okay, so we've got a we've got an eagle here. An eagle, not stable master, but eagle master thing. Okay, so here's the top of the carrick where they get dropped off. Okay, anyway, so like I said, I refuse to believe that any dwarf made those steps. And I agree, the elves would have made them much prettier. And there would be arches, and there would be wholly unnecessary pillars, and there would be trellises, and there'd be all kinds of things, right? And filigree if the dwarves were Fili there. Yeah, yeah, I'm no. i the elves, my bad. Exactly, no, totally, totally. Um, and there'd be like fancy knot work and straight lines uh, if the dwarves were here. So I, I, I totally agree. This is absolutely a mannish construction. Um, and even a, a rustic mannish production. It's not Numenorean, clearly, because they'd have decorated not. too. Um, so I think it, it's definitely pre. Well, hang on a second. No, I can't say it's definitely pre-Numenor because post-Numenor still spans a really wide period, right? Um, I mean, the stairs could be a thousand years old and still be post-Numenor. I mean, post-Gondor even. Um, so, no, it doesn't have to be pre-Numenorian. And there's no direct evidence really to suggest or imply that necessarily. But here's the other thing that interests me. I don't see anything up here Wait, are, is there the evidence of flagstones? Yes. This was once yeah, there are so. paved. Yeah. Okay. So paving stones on the top here. So this area was once deliberately flattened and paved. But I don't see any other evidence of any other carving, building, or work of any kind up here on top of the Carrick. Again, here, I'm just trying to guess what it was for. What the purpose of the people who put the stairs in was. Which is actually interesting because um, uh, Scenario is aware of your perambulations. <laughs> and he, he basically cautioned the chat that we should not read into anything uh, that, every, any, that we think about why something exists, what asset they use as to, you know, write it in character headcanon for him. Like, yeah. Try tell Corey that. No. Nope. It is of his caution is of no avail. Um, <laughs> I knew that was the good idea. Yeah. There's no power in the verse that'll stop me reading into things. Uh, so there we go. Um, yep. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's like, this is why this is why like sometimes people will say things like <laughs> this is why sometimes people will say things like uh, you should ask the developers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. That's that's not the answer. Because uh, it's not that I'm not interested in their perspective on or what was going on in their heads. It's only that I find it irrelevant <laughs> to the question of our analysis. Um, their intentions are beside the point. It is the finished product that matters. Um uh, it's not about the intentions of the of the devs. It's about the meaning of what the devs have created. Um, 
Exactly. Just like the death of the author, but for video games, Trifle. Not really. I don't really agree with the death of the author. Um, no, it's not about that. Um, Trifle, you know what? Uh, like, there was a sentence that C.S. Lewis wrote that changed my life as, a, as an English professor, as an English student, really. Um, uh, and it's, from a, it's one of the most profound pieces of literary criticism that C.S. Lewis ever wrote, this sentence. Um, he said... It's got a semicolon in it. It sounds like two sentences, but it's one sentence. Uh, he said, authors intend, books mean. Yes, books have meaning. Authors have intentions. The intentions of an author sometimes line up with the meaning of a book. But not always, not even often. Authors intend, books mean. And when you're thinking of those two things, so it's not that the author is dead or that the author's intention doesn't matter. It's that the author's intention and the meaning of the book are not the same thing. You're not talking about the same thing. And you can be interested in the meaning of the book without either A, knowing, or B, caring what the intention of the author is. It's relevant, but it's, uh, or rather it's interesting, but it's not relevant. It's certainly not identical uh, to the um uh to the 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 meaning um of uh, uh of the of the of the thing right of, of the text so when we're doing explorations and I'm reading into things I am interested in the meaning of this text this this game world that we have here uh and my interest in what the devs were intending when they set it up is only very secondary, uh, and I am not going to permit it, even should I know what it is, uh, to infringe upon the meaning of the text. Because again, often uh, the meaning of the text well transcends the intentions of the author. In fact, I would go so far as to say that's always true in the case of good books. Um, I don't think there was ever a single good book whose meaning was 100% in the control of the author. In some, I think it's almost like a, a literary rule, right? If the meaning of the book does not get out of the control of the author, does not escape the intention, does not go beyond the intentions of the author, it's not a great book. I mean, I, I don't think it's ever happened with a great book. Um, it seems to me almost, uh, almost by definition, a book is becomes great when it ends up doing something and saying something and meaning far more than its author ever knew or, or, or intended it to mean. Um, and, you know, great authors admit that. <laughs> like Tolkien often did. Uh, you know, Tolkien never really felt like fully in control of his story and was always talked about, you know, discovery rather than, um, uh, rather than, uh, intention, right. Rather than, than his own plans. Right. Um, but, uh, but you often see, and this, of this is why I've often expressed, I kind of rolled my eyes at JK Rowling because she doesn't get this principle and feels that in order to be considered a great author, you have to have intended everything. And it's, you're doing it wrong, Rowling. Um, your book is, your books are greater than you are trying to make them be. But anyway, um, um, off in uh, that, that off literary tangent. Uh, and Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Back to the 
pressing matter at hand, which is why did they pave the top of the carrick? So, so let's think for a second. And JJ, I want to come back to your question, your landscape question there, because I think it's a really good one. Um, but um, I want to, um, uh, I want to come back to the question of the paving stones. Given the evidence that we have here, the evidence of a um, the lack of things up here and b the presence of stairs and paving stones, and the conclusion that we have come to based on the evidence that this was a human construction and not a Numenorean construction. So this has nothing to do with Gondor. It has nothing to do with the elves or the dwarves that we can see. Um, this is why I come back to... Um, uh, this is why I come back to uh, the um, the question of um, uh, Bjorn's ancestors, right? Maybe his very distant ancestors. Maybe, I mean, could these steps have been made uh, in the, like, second age? Maybe. First age? Who knows? I think the steps would be in worse shape by now if they were first age steps. Um, uh, those steps don't look a day over, you know, 2000 years, but uh, but who knows? Um, uh, anyway, OK. Um, so what do you think? Theories? Why did they come up here? My theory. I mean, sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, this was not a peaceful land so the lookout for military purposes definitely uh would come to mind agreed and, you know keep an eye on the high pass you can see the the road to the south um so you'd want to double check and you know make sure there's no orc or goblin movements going on yeah you even might want to keep an eye on the dwarves if you don't trust them very much and I would even guess, maybe, that if you are one of the non-Numenorean humans who live in this region, you might not entirely trust the elves either. So you can keep an eye on a bunch of your neighbors this way. Yep. And, of course, the, uh, the Othiad to the north as well. Yep. Yep. Are those... Because they would offend it. Yeah. Are those horse guys coming south? I mean, that would be threatening, right? So, sure. Well, not necessarily threatening, but, you know, if, if you don't want strangers in, in your house yeah, or something like that. Well, no, I yeah. mean, anybody strange is a threat, potentially. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, that's all I mean by threatening. Something that you should definitely know about because who knows, it might be bad. Um, and then there's the mountains, of course, you know, where there are goblins and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, no, there's no question this is a great lookout spot. I mean, that's, that's certainly true. But the thing is, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't need to build anything up here. It's not like you'd need to build a tower on top of this. You know, like, you'd be fine just standing here. Why go through the trouble of building a tower? Um, you'd actually be uh, in a very bad position to put a tower up here. Yeah. Um, what you'd want to do is lay flat on your belly so the people Nobody can see you. Yeah. can't see you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know you're right. You're right. So, no, I agree, a lookout post, but, but here's a the thing. A careful one. Yeah, if that's your plan, your stairs are way too big, right? I mean, like, anyone walking by on the eastern side, um, not on the western side, um, but on the, on the Eastern side, anybody walking down that bank of the river is going to see those steps and see, you know, so like you're like broadcasting the fact that you have a lookout post here. Um, so it's not stealthy. That's one of the factors that I 
lay stress on here in trying to think through what the purpose of this place would have been is it does not seem to have been interested in secrecy particularly. Now, I do think, JJ, it is interesting that the stairs come down on the non-mountain side. Um, uh, This is, I, I agree, it seems to be an extension from the east, not from the west. This is not like an outpost of folks who are in the mountains, right, who are wanting to look out in that direction. This is an outpost of folks, I think, or an outpost or meeting place or whatever it was, of folks who were coming from the Bjorning lands there um, off to the east, uh, presumably. Um, you know, maybe from north or south, but definitely from this bank of the river. But they also weren't making any attempt to hide it from that bank of the river. Uh, so... Uh, and that's, again, another reason why I don't think Bjorn would make this huge, ginormous path. Um, he would have no need to. I don't know that he would have any desire to. Um, uh, a meeting place is one of the things that I'm thinking of. Um, a peaceful meeting, like a pl- a, a neutral location, yes, perhaps? Yes, it's not like, really part yeah. of any of the three major racist kingdoms exactly that's um that's and that's considering who's one of my parked theories. right here with us um the eagles could oversee a mediation or right. be like the the arbiters of very swift and painful justice if you act up <laughs> right exactly you'd be a little exposed uh to eagle counterattacks here um i uh i do feel that i should uh go talk to the eagle because I still haven't. There we go. Where's Lindelby? That's in the wells of Langflood and Uh, chat, please don't tell him what's there. It is awesome. You just have to wait. All right. I won't go there. Unless you want to go visit. No, no. I do. In due time. In due time. Um, In due time. Okay. Uh. Yeah. Now, Tomas, you're right. It could be used for a beacon, but there's no evidence of a beacon up here, even evidence that like stuff was burnt. Now, again, if they had a fire up here a thousand years ago, we wouldn't be able to tell now for sure. But um, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't think so, because, again, a beacon, the beacons work because it's a prearranged signal between two kingdoms. Right. The beacons work because of the alliance between Rohan and Gondor. I don't think anybody was really kind of beacon worthy in this region, right? I mean, like, did anybody have a beaconish sort of relationship with anybody else in this region? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it could be a lighthouse to make sure boats don't run into the Carrick, JJ. We can't rule that out, I suppose. That's a. Uh, uh, that would be a very present concern, I think, to everyone. But um, uh, I don't think there's too much lichen on the rocks here for any sort of at least fire on the base of the the, the rock here. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I don't think so. So I I kind of like the idea of meeting place. Here's the other thing. So I was mentioning potential religious significance. Um, that this could be a sacred space in some way. And do you know why I think that? Uh, or rather, why that's one of the... I think that's one of the possible theories. Um, is that... We have a precedent for 
large freestanding tower of rock with well-worn steps leading up to the top where there's just an open space on top um, and no buildings. And that's the mental tarma in Numenor. Now, I'm not saying it's the mental tarma. I'm not saying that the people who built it here built it here in memory of the mental tarma. I'm not saying that this was like a revival of the, uh, the worship of Eru that was held on the mental tarma. But I am wondering if there could possibly be a parallel to the mental. We've seen this happen in Tolkien's history all the time, right? That the same thing gets kind of uh, sort of repeated uh, over time. Um, let's uh, possibly, but yeah. the mental turmoil was the highest point in Numenor. If it I was correctly. It was. This yep. is not the highest point. Of course in not. The local vicinity. Of course not. But again, all I'm saying is. This impulse to find a high place and to have to consider that high place, um, you know, a sacred spot to like choose a high, an isolated high place like this as a sacred space has precedent. That's that's really kind of all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. But um, okay, let's um, let's go to the Irie. We'll end there. Oh, we're, yeah. we're late. But don't forget to bow to the eagles or or yeah. Okay, here we are. Here's the eagles IRA. Cause this is not very ext- the terrain up here isn't very extensive, right? And watch your step, please. Cause you can fall to your death fairly easily, right? Yes. Okay. So And for those I'm gonna... of us who have fear of heights, this is not a good place. It's Gwai here. Wow, there he is. We've seen him in other places, but all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow to Gwai here. There's actually a quest that has you bow to the various lords here. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be polite. Oh, there's Gwai mm-hmm. here and Landreval and Meneldor. Oh man, all the dignitaries are here. Okay, so if you were a hobbit and a bunch of dwarves. Where would you roast meat on spits? Out of the wind, one would think. Yeah, I would think. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this as a likely place right here. This is where I would set up my fire, right under here. But it doesn't look like they did. Not that I would necessarily expect to see remains of a campsite. Not this many years later, no. Yeah, I mean, I doubt the eagles have, like you know, maintained the, you know, little firing in memory of uh, Gandalf and the dwarves. These trees are very interesting to me. These old dead trees. So where exactly are we located? Okay. Way up here. And I did see, I wasn't pretending not to see, I did see the broken down and sort of rebuilt bridge um, to the north, yep. To the north along the river. Um, I was trusting we were going to get to that. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. But I wanted to look out. It is awful steep here. So mm-hmm. there's the river that comes down, and there's the Carrick way down there. And so we're really up high. Man, you can't even see the bridge from here. I can see the road that the bridge would be on. And there's Bjorn's house in the trees. Yes, that circle. Yeah. Okay. And the forest beyond that. 
Aaron Lasglin. Right, no, and there's that bridge now down below us. Yeah, looks like a dwarf bridge, but I won't be hasty. And, oh, I didn't notice. You can see the white mirror from here. The white mirror? Mayor, M-A-R-E, horse. Oh, the white mare. Yes. Uh, the, the developers took, uh, I believe, inspiration from a real-life place in the UK where the... Um, the previous uh, inhabitants had used white rock to uh, form the Celtic shape of a horse in the landscape that you can only really see if you're really high up. Uh, so it, it, and they put that into the game and it of course ties into the Rohiric storyline. Right, right, right. I don't see it. Um... Yeah, it's not showing up, up very well. No, you're not too high up, because I can see it from here. I, I think it's a graphics issue. Ah, so I just posted the real... Uh, Trifle just posted the the real-life version. Yes, the Uppington White Horse. Thank you, yeah. Trifle. Yeah, there it is. But it's based on that. Um, I'm just looking at your screen, and yeah, it's not manifesting on yours. Yeah. Maybe it's a graphics setting. Yeah, I think I might have my graphics setting too low. Which I almost have to, uh, with some of the graphics going on in the game. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll probably see it. So it's what? Like, it's in that direction over here? Okay. Alright. Well, presumably we'll see it later on. Okay. Cool. Well... I just um, posted the wiki page for it, and it has a picture of the in-game thing. Cool. No, Tomas, you don't have to be on an eagle to see it. Um, when you see it in-game, it, it'll be evident. Right, right. Yeah. Neat. Neat. Well, this is pretty cool and not very hospitable, which is just how I always pictured it. Because the eagles hang out here. I'm interested that the eagles don't have anything like nests. Or maybe this is just a part of their Eyrie and their actual nests are elsewhere. Maybe this is like a little gathering place for them. Because, of course... Where they bring, you know, hobbits and random Exactly. Because remember that when, uh, when you know, Bilbo and Dory end up, you know, taken up by the... El the first they're taken up into one place and then they're transported across to where everyone's gathering. So mm -hmm. that's probably what this is. So they they were probably taken back to the nest the first time. And then, right, this is the guest parlor, Toramarthen. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, okay, so, yeah, what is over here? Is, is this a nest area up over behind here? Kind of looks nest-ish. I can't get in there. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. 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 That looks like a great eagle nest, perhaps. Oh, there are bones in there. That's a skull and a pelvis of something large. Okay, sure. Definitely a nest here, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's another bone over there. Okay, so that's, yeah, so there is a nest over there. 
Not trying to pry, sir. Uh, it's a perfectly good nest. You can keep whoever skulls you want in there, I suppose. As long as they're not mine. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right. Um, well, I should probably let people go. It's late. But um, uh, we will... Um, we will resume next week. So next week we will uh, uh, we'll go back to um, we'll go out towards Bjorn's house, off in that general that direction. Yes, and then we will be more or less done with the Vales of Anduin. So we may finish the Vales of Anduin next week. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there isn't really much. And yeah, the Bjorning house is the only other real bit of architecture in the entire area. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a couple of places where there's like orcs and goblins and whatnot, but there's, there's nothing we haven't already seen. Right. Right. Cool. Awesome. Neat. Okay. Well, I'm going to sign off here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for discussion and field trip today. Uh, and uh, well, I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. So have a good week, everybody. Don't forget, if you're interested uh, in getting a free course in our PATH program, uh, send an email to path at signumu.org and let us know if you would be interested in our powerful presentations course or our nuts and bolts of writing course. Thanks, everybody, uh, and I will see you guys next week. Bye now. Night.